This is the second of two podcasts documenting our progress through the Suez Canal. In this episode, we leave the centre of the canal, Ismailia, and we head down to Port Suez. Well, it's a real tough old life, this, going down the Suez Canal to Port Suez now. Um, got a quieter pilot this time. Seems very nice. And uh, I have done very little, I have to admit. I've done a bit of reading, done a bit of reading up, because hopefully we're going to go to Luxor or a few places like that when we get to Hokkaido. But so far on the Suez, it's been quite quiet. Millie has moved around the deck, lying out on various places. And nothing huge to report, except it's great to be moving again. Day two on the Suez Canal. Well, it's actually day 10. We spent seven days in Ishmaelia, which was great fun. But we're now doing the second part of the canal. And I don't know if it's just me, maybe it's because it's daytime, but the canal looks considerably narrower. And we have cargo ships going past, and they just seem a lot closer than they did on uh, day one. We had a few hiccups this morning. Uh, we were all supposed to leave at five o'clock. Five o'clock came, we all got up. And it turns out Esper and Ramdu's pilots didn't turn up. So we didn't leave until 10 o'clock this morning. Consequently, it means we're going to get into Port Suez at night time, which we don't really want to do. So this second section of the canal, the first thing that's quite striking on our uh, port side, which is the east side, is that it is desert. It is proper desert. And on our starboard side, which is the side that always has the growth and the trees, the, the, uh, the, the houses and the lookout posts. Looks habited, but sadly the banks are strewn with so much litter. Not very pleasant to look at. And we're just passing a security checkpoint now and the pilot is communicating with them on the handheld VHF. And in the distance I see many, many more cargo ships. Oh, it's midday, day two, and we're just approaching the Bitter Lakes, which is a large expanse of the canal that opens out into some natural lakes, which is a convenient point, I suppose, to give you a little bit of history about the Suez Canal, what little I know anyway. It dates back to Ramses II, which is uh, 12th century BC. Uh, Ramses II, who Liz and I have actually seen. He's one of the mummies in the museum in Cairo. Anyway, he attempted to join the Med with Suez, which is at the bottom of the canal, top of the Red Sea. Well, he didn't have much success, unfortunately. 600 years later, some guy called Darius of Persia, now he, he was the first person to actually get as far as the Bitter Lakes. Uh, after uh, Darius of Persia, uh, there were many attempts to continue onward from the Bitter Lakes. A uh, number of famous people tried to reach the Red Sea from the Bitter Lakes, including P Cleopatra and uh, the Romans as well. But it was actually Trajan, at the beginning of the 1st century AD, who finally extended the canal to the Suez. Now, all of the canals ran from the Nile and they cut across through Ishmaelia. Uh, a number of engineers attempted to then uh, directly connect the Bitter Lakes down to Suez. 
However, it was the British and French governments that uh, created the Suez Canal Company, and it was in 1859 that the construction work began and was completed in 1869, ten years later. So we are literally at the north end of the lakes now and I can see around me on the nose and to uh, the starboard side I can actually see hills and mountains although they may well be big sand dunes I can't quite see from here because they're a long way off and they're clouded in uh, hazy sun. We still have desert on our left and sitting in the lakes are many many uh, tens of cargo ships. Uh, I guess they're probably at anchor, but we're going to continue straight through. Kind of reminiscent of uh, the Iselmere in Holland. And to my right over in the west I can see, well I can see a lot of greenery actually, a lot of trees, palm trees, certainly lots of development power cables, aerials, and in the far distance three chimneys, possibly some kind of power station. In the water lots and lots of fishing boats, very small rowing boats, one or two fishermen on each one. Very friendly, they always smile and wave when we pass them, and in fact they even offer up some of their fish. Just flying past me now is some kind of gull diving in the water and earlier we actually saw uh, it looked like a kingfisher I couldn't rightly say but it certainly looked like a kingfisher but it was diving in the water and um, picking out fish there's clearly quite uh, a lot of marine life in this canal right that pretty little kingfisher that we saw um, is a pied kingfisher looked it up in the book it breeds at rivers, lakes, river mouths, canals and fish ponds and also on coasts where it will be seen hovering. It takes fish mostly after hovering and then diving in stages from at times high up, all of which um, chimes exactly with uh, what we saw. So absolutely thrilled about that because you won't see them in the UK. In fact, you won't see them really in Europe at all. Just occasionally around the fringes of the eastern med and a little bit where we are on the canal and that's it so a pied kingfisher we saw it and it was lovely rum do rum do rum do this is esper 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 this is rum do over yeah hi Ian. I think I was concentrating too much on my lunch. I've just checked the uh, chart plot and I noticed that we've gone way off course and we're no longer in the um, in the uh, the main canal channel. Have you any idea why that is? Over. I, um, according to my pilot, it's because the ships that are in the anchorage that we're crossing at the moment are the, forming the southbound convoy of 25. They're at this moment lifting up uh, their anchors and proceeding south to Suez. We can't cut across the front of them, we have to tuck in behind, hence why we're circling the anchorage. Okay, right, understood. Thanks for that, Ian. Um, I, I'm looking at my chart plot and I can see on the AIS uh, there are many, many um, boats at anchor here, so uh, yeah, it's probably just as well we're staying out of the way. 
Alright, cheers in, standing by 7 2. Yeah, standing by. Well, as Ian on Rumdu has just explained on the VHF, all of these ships that were at anchor are now weighing anchor. You can see their anchor chains come up, and well, they're all turning round to get um, into the south facing convoy. Of course, I've told you before how big these things are, and we want to stay well out of the way of them. So we are now currently um, over to the west side of the Great Bitter Lake. All right, Jamie. Fancy a lamb chop? <laughs> How are you going to do that then? I was just look at the cargo of that vessel on our port side. Oh, I missed that. I was too busy enjoying my um, Turkish apples. Uh, what's it carrying? Oh, the one, the black one on your left now. Oh, I'll go and have a look. Lamb chops, apparently. What are they? What are what? It's livestock? Yeah. What is that at the front? Oh, that's feed. Ah, right. Yeah. So this is a livestock container ship and at the front are bales of hay and two thirds of the boat are sheep. It's like short sheep. Yep. It looks like it to me. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, I can see them moving. Oh, that's a first. I've not seen that before. So we've got a nice aroma of uh, something reminiscent of a, an English country niff. Well, this is an interesting conundrum. As I was just explaining, we've gone over to the west side of the Great Bitter Lake in order to avoid the southbound convoy. Unfortunately, this area is littered with rowing fishing boats and of course they've all got their nets out and we're going straight down the middle of this area so we have to be on the lookout. Rumdu has just radioed through to say they've stopped. We've just run through a fishing line. So they don't have the float out to show us. Hello? Hmm. He's very angry and uh, I think I may be too if I find out we've got a line around our prop. Bit of drama. Uh, just to reiterate, these fishermen are supposed to put floats on their nets so we can see them, but uh, this particular boat didn't. I think we got away with it. Well, you've never seen a boat of fishermen row so quickly. <laughs> it's like they're being told off by their dad. I laugh about it now, but of course it's a sailor's worst nightmare to get anything around the prop, especially in a busy, busy channel like this. We've still got uh, boats heading south and we're still not back in the channel, so we are in amongst all the fishing lets. So I guess I should stop talking and uh, go back and 
stand on the front of the bow and keep an eye out for those nets. So I didn't see that last one. Our pilot did. Well, it's now 14.45 hours, quarter to three in the afternoon. And the last of the southbound convoy has just passed us. We're now just approaching the dog lake in the canal. So this is where the Great Bitter Lake meets the Little Bitter Lake. And of course the pilot is very keen to whack up the revs and catch up with the convoy that's doing about 15 knots. A firm no is always the answer. Wow, who'd have thunk it? Uh, our pilot has just suggested that we put the sails out. Um, this is quite unusual in the canal, uh, but it's because the convoy has passed and we're on our own now, just with uh, Rumdo in front. We're only making four knots over ground, which is quite a lot less than we were at the beginning. We were doing seven, six and a half knots over ground, but we've got two knots of current against us. Um, so if we put some sails out, it might just help us just to just to make a little more speed. Uh, we uh, can't believe it. We're very excited. And Jamie is going to go ahead now and put some sails out. Let's see what happens. Well, fancy that. I've just pulled out the uh, Yankee, which basically means the foresail is now pulled out to one side of the boat on the spinnaker pole. And the mizzen is out on the other side. This is called running goose wing. So we're actually running downwind on the Suez Canal. Okay, we're still motoring as well, but we've managed to gain just under a knot, which is great. I, <laughs> I really never thought I'd be doing this. Having put the sails up and um now motor sailing we've put on an extra half a knot or so which is great so we're happy about that and pilot is still steering having a cup of tea and some bickies as we wait for the next couple of hours when hopefully we will arrive in Port Suez touch wood so we've just worked out that we've probably got about one and a half knots of current against us at the moment, um, having had a good couple of knots uh, pushing us along earlier on. We reckon there's another half an hour, an hour to go when it's supposed to turn, and then we'll have lots of lovely current helping us along, pushing along even f faster. So although the boat speeds six and a half knots, as I say, speed over ground only five knots, but that should push up very well in the next half an hour to an hour. Right, we are here tied up in Port Suez uh, with all the other boats, safe and sound, arrived last night and all looking good, all happy, cats fed, we've got good internet connection. So here we are and uh, wondered, Jamie, what you thought the best bit of the trip was so far. Uh, I think the thing that I found most fascinating was the contrast between the starboard side and the port side. And oh, yeah. as, as I was, had previously uh, alluded to, the irrigation system on the east side of the, of the canal, which is being developed thanks to the irrigation system that runs under the canal. So it'll be interesting, you know, to come back to the canal in 10 years' time to see what kind of growth there's been on that side because, you know, we saw quite a lot of wildlife, uh, especially the, the pied uh, kingfisher, which was the, uh, the highlight of the wildlife. But there, we saw quite a bit of that 
Yeah, and lots of trees and palm trees silhouetted against the evening sky. That was rather lovely on that side. And some um, houses, I was quite surprised. I didn't think anyone would be living along there. But there were areas where there were definitely uh, dwellings, weren't there? And then opposite, you'd have nothing but sand. I'll tell you what I liked. I liked the fishermen. I liked those funny little boats they had with the weird um, sails and stuff like that. And I liked the fact that they waved to us with great grinning smiles. And I thought it was quite interesting the way people on the shore were all waved at us, didn't you think that? And they were all so friendly. Yes, including the military and the lookout <laughs> posts and the security men. Uh, ev- everyone. Everyone was very, very friendly. Yeah, and I also saw our pilot, our second pilot, the nice pilot, waving to some people on one of the huge containers. I think you missed that. And they were waving at us. <laughs> so, odd, odd experience, Suez Canal, for me. And uh, quite enjoyed it. But I'm glad that we've now hit the Red Sea. One thing I didn't mention was the difference between the two pilots. And I think it's really a a roulette, having spoken to the other people on the rally. What I didn't uh, record earlier, I should have done immediately. In fact, it would have been nice to have actually captured the conversation, was the reaction of our first pilot when he got off the boat. We gave him his backsheesh, which was nicely wrapped up by Liz. It was $20.00 a t-shirt and some toiletries for his daughter. He ripped open the package, threw down everything else, went straight for the envelope, took out the $20 and we then had to put up with him moaning for 20 minutes about how it wasn't enough. Now we had been warned about this, we knew this was going to happen, but it after a long day on the canal after 10 hours and you come in and it's dark and you're tired and you just want a beer with your mates, um, to put up with that I found uh, I was actually really quite offended by it. Sadly, um, we, I think we took it out on the second pilot because we were expecting the same kind of uh, reaction and the second pilot, well, we couldn't have asked for a nicer pilot to be honest he was extremely pleasant, kept himself to himself and when we gave him his backsheesh at the end he just nodded and smiled he didn't even open the envelope and, and I, I, felt a bit, I felt a bit bad actually but having spoken to the other boats well, some of their pilots, they sounded atrocious yeah. yeah, I mean, Terry said that on Rome 2, they had that pilot who was like a kid, he said, didn't he? He was going all over the place, trying to race people, wandering up and round the, the canal, a complete idiot. In fact, our pilot had to tell him off, I seem to remember, on the first time. Couldn't steer in a straight line. Yeah. Um, but at least we didn't get the pilots who uh, don't lift up the toilet seat when they... Uh, oh, when yeah. they <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, we were lucky there. Yeah. I think it's a shame that uh, you get one bad experience and then you tar all the other pilots with this one bad experience. But The good thing is, I suppose, is that we had the bad pilot first and we had the good pilot second, so that we've come away with a with a smile on our face rather than being fed up. We've Instead of um, thinking, oh, good, that the Egyptian pilots are all crap, we're actually thinking, oh, well, we were unlucky first time and the second one was great. Yeah. Anyway, we're now in Port Suez and, uh, as Liz says, we have done the Suez Canal. The next step is to tackle the north of the Red Sea, which uh, should be uh, good fun, interesting and challenging. No doubt we'll report back on on our experiences as we travel down towards Haggadah. This podcast was brought to you by followtheboat.com.